Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like what you hear, please press subscribe. And also, if you could leave a review and rate this podcast, that would be amazing. Um, Thank you to the many of you who have already done that. It means so much to me, and I read every comment. So please review, rate, subscribe, and uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books beach tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated plus a little... Um, thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com, page one with the number one. So page number one books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page one books.com. Catherine Newman is the author of How to Be a Person. 65 hugely useful, super important skills to learn before you're grown up. She's also the author of Waiting for Birdie, Catastrophic Happiness, and One Mixed Up Night, and the co-author of Stitch Camp. She is the etiquette columnist for Real Simple Magazine and the editor of the James Beard award-winning Kids Cooking Magazine, Chop Chop. Newman has contributed to publications including the New York Times, O, the Oprah Magazine, and Parents. She currently lives in Amherst, Massachusetts with her family. Thanks for doing this again. (laughs) Thank you for having me again. You're welcome. Okay, so how to be a person. 65 hugely useful, super important skills to learn before you're grown up. (laughs) What a fantastic book. Okay, so tell everybody how you came up with the idea to write this book. Okay, you can stand to hear this again? I can totally stand to hear this again, and it'll be great. (laughs) I wrote this book because... I have the kind of kid, my daughter, Birdie, who's 17 now, but for her whole life, she has really liked to do it her own self. You know, she started saying that when she was like one and a half and has said it basically ever since. And she at some point was like 12 or 13. And I had asked her to do some like basic task, like sweep the kitchen. I think it was a holiday and she didn't know how to do it. Like she just didn't, she had never picked up a broom. That was like, that was my fault. I just, it had never occurred to me to ask her. And she didn't know how to do it and didn't want to be shown how to do it. And then it's, you're in like your own personal vacuum of like, you can't learn something if you don't let someone show you. So you need a book. So I went to the library to get a book that I pictured as like a photographic encyclopedia of housework. This is a book I thought would exist. And would be like a really great book for kids that would be like a thousand pages long. And every page would be like an eight step photograph of how to sweep the floor, how to clean the bathroom. And that book did not exist. You'll be surprised to hear. That's like really not fun book for kids. And then I thought, well, there must be like books that show kids how to do useful stuff. And weirdly, there's lots of books about fun, useful stuff, like all the kind of Girl Scout type books. But there really wasn't a book on that was about teaching kids to do like basic household chores. So that's the book I set out to write. And then it kind of evolved because my 
wise publisher thought that still wasn't going to be a really fun book if it was just about chores. So that's how it got to be so variable. Well, when we last spoke, I had told you that my daughter used this book and actually maybe this is before, after we spoke. Anyway, so my kids, as I mentioned, love this, all ages of my kids. And my daughter, who's 13, was like, Kyle asked me to set the table. I need that book. So she grabs the book and opens it up to the page where you have like, here it is if you're at a fancy French restaurant. Here it is if you're just having regular dinner. And she set the table and she was so proud of herself. And it was just amazing. That makes me so happy. That's the whole goal. Not right? that like, not that she hadn't ever set the table, but it hadn't ever necessarily I, I, been right before. <laughs> I know a book, you know, a book will hang out with you while you learn, you know. I, I think books are so useful for certain types of kids in particular who, you know, really don't want to deal with your like pedantic tone or don't want to deal with your assumptions or don't want to deal with the fact that at a certain point you get irritable because they can't seem to learn something that seems sort of obvious to you. And so I do feel like, you know, that that's the beauty of a book among many other beauties of a book. Totally. And your advice also was to just leave it out because I wanted to like go like force it down my son's throat too and be like, you have to read this. But you said, just leave it out. And then lo and behold, you know, when we're all like, oh, great job with setting the table and everything. He's like, hey, what's that book? And then he picked it up and started reading it. And and then my little guy started reading. Anyway, it's like been contagious, contagious in our house. So, <laughs> and I, I love the illustrations because it feels like almost like a picture book, almost like a picture book meets graphic novel type of thing. And yet you're talking about like how to chop an onion and whip up a smoothie and sweep the floor and empty the dishwasher and all this stuff. And anyway, it's, it's, you made it so fun. Oh, thank you so much. And that is my illustrator that I got to work with, Debbie Fung, who's this just incredible illustrator, but also this really tremendous person and really got the book, you know, just like got it, nailed it. Everything I wanted, she just did it intuitively. And she really understood, like, I just didn't want the book to feel scolding. You know, I feel like we're all on the same side, even though it doesn't always feel like that, you know, us and the kids, like we all want the same things. And I wanted the book to feel really like an invitation more than like a, you should have already known how to do this, you lazy whore, you know, which <laughs> like that. That's like what I actually want to say to everybody. But she just got it. Like, I think she must really like kids. You know, I just, I haven't actually met her. We've just worked together the way we all work together now. But I just, she's so, she has such a loving, the illustrations are so loving and funny. And so I was just totally thrilled to get to work with her. It's, it sounds like it was a great match because the text is funny too. I mean, the whole thing is like almost tongue in cheek and yet also really helpful. I mean, there are like things in here that I, that I've learned myself, you know, <laughs> should I not, should I not admit that? Or just like different ways of doing it. Like, okay, this is how. This is how you like, I don't know, pack to, to save the most space. Or this is how you like, I don't know. I don't do it that way, but I'm going to try it your way. I'll scramble it your way. And <laughs> yeah, I will say that the things in my house that have proved most demystifying, the section on how to apologize, mm. both men in my house, my 20-year-old son and my 51-year-old husband, 
when they were proofreading for me, they covered that page with post-its that were like, I don't really understand this. What does this mean? And they were just kidding, but they're like the worst apologizers. And I actually felt like, oh, this could be kind of useful. Like here's a basic framework for apologizing, right? Where you take responsibility and you acknowledge how somebody might feel. It, it In some ways it's so basic. It takes only half of a spread in the book. And yet, it's kind of radical. Like I, in a weird way, that's going to be the, the heart of people's like emotional lives and taking responsibility in huge ways too. You know, if you even think at like the political level, you know, when, when somebody stands up and says, wow, I was wrong about that. Like, that's so tremendous. I actually think that's like an entire worldview being able to apologize. Well, that's true. That's really, it's, it's a, it's a skill. <laughs> You know what would be so cool is if you took this book and made it into like a series, and maybe you've already done this and I didn't notice or something, but a series of like really short like YouTube instructional videos, but all with these characters in this illustration with this blue background and everything. Oh my God, like little animations. Like little animations. Because some of the things it would be good to see in action, right? Like you could show someone cleaning the tub and shower, or you could demonstrate the hand washing, or even like answering the phone the right way. I just feel like this could be such a viral way. And that's how so many people get their information now, like especially kids. It might be really cool to do. It's a fantastic idea. I I love that idea. We, Birdie and I have done a few like Instagram live events for, we did some for the bookstore word and we showed tying a, tie, a necktie, which she was totally psyched to do as, you know, classic non-binary gender girl. She got up with her pride rainbow necktie and tied it on live TV. And we did writing your political representatives. And it was really fun to make videos. And I, I think, oh my gosh, if we got Debbie to do the animation, that would be insane. You should definitely do it. Because even when I'm like helping my son put a tie on, if like my husband's not around or something, I will Google that. And not that your book is not fabulous and I am going to keep it as close to me as possible. But, you know, (laughs) I always Google like how to tie a tie. And then I whatever video pops up is how I learn. (laughs) You have to go behind him and do it like you're tying it on yourself. That's what I always have to do. And I think it drives my kids crazy. It's like the most smug mother type thing to do. Like come behind them and reach in front of them with my mother arms. So Catherine, how did you end up writing a book to begin with? Like, I know this is why you wrote this book and I know that was the inspiration, but like, how'd you get into writing? Oh, well, that is a good question. I, I was one of those little kids who wanted to be a writer, like from the minute I could actually put words on a page, I wanted to be a writer. And then that was drummed out of me as an impractical idea. Mental note to all the parents, like, please just let your kids pursue the things they love. So I was sort of rerouted through academia. I actually got a PhD. I was kind of set up to be an English professor. And I had been writing... The whole time I'd been moonlighting for a friend of mine who was the editor at Family Fun Magazine. So I'd been writing tons of craft pieces to support myself as a grad student. And that was all through my 20s. And then I wrote this dissertation that everyone said was like too readable, which I thought was really sad and frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had a baby. One thing led to another. 
And I found myself sort of turning more and more towards writing for money because we were broke and scrappy. And then I got this gig. I mean, this is just going to make me sound like such a dinosaur, but I got a gig writing a weekly column about parenting for Baby Center. And this was in 2002 when I was pregnant with Birdie. And I wrote this weekly column for Baby Center. They paid me $50 a week to do it. And I wrote it for like five years. But at a certain point, I turned the first half of it into a memoir. And that was that was really great. You know, I learned the lesson that you say yes to everything because you just have no idea what it might turn into. But that's how I ended up becoming a writer. It was really necessity to earn a living and combined with this desire to kind of keep track of my kids' babyhoods. Hmm. I probably read like all your articles along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might have, although, you know, it really wasn't for everyone. The book was, ended up being called Waiting for Birdie. And I read it now and it's so cringy, even though it's, you know, it's, well, it's like 15 years ago. And I was so neurotic. It's like a little painful to me now, honestly. Did you see in the paper recently, there was a study that neuroticism is linked to dementia? (laughs) There's like a higher risk of getting dementia if you're a neurotic person. And I was like, oh, great. Now I have to worry about that. My mother and I sent each other that article. So yes, I did see that. And it makes total sense to me. I feel like, oh my God, at least at some point I'll be demented and spared my neurosis. (laughs) You know, it's like that we at least can look forward to that. (laughs) That's the perk. (laughs) Silver lining. Silver lining. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Too funny. So do you feel like you're going to keep tracking things that like might be useful to your kids or do you think this is like it for you and now your next one will be like a guide to aging or something like that? I know. I really do want to, I, I have my eye on a menopause book. I can't help it because it's such a, it's so my kind of topic. It's like inherently hilarious to me, all the terrible things that are happening to my personal body. So both. And I do want to write another book for, kids and you know what we're taping this in in the middle of the protests after George Floyd's killing and I keep thinking like how to be an anti-racist not that me like white lady mom needs to write that book but I keep thinking about a book that would have different other kinds of roles in it like how to be an ally how to be a friend Mm. like a how-to book that would be really formatted in a similar way, but about relationships specifically and being a a good friend, a powerful ally, a, you know, loving grandchild, all, all the relationships. So I like that idea, you know? Yeah. Because people keep writing me now, which is so sweet about the things they wish were in the book or that mm. their kids in the book. And some stuff has come up, like how to make small talk with your grandmother, which I thought was <laughs> like heartbreaking and sweet but also like yeah that can't that's not easy for kids you know or or even how to be in a romantic relationship I mean I don't know that I could cover that in like a two-page spread but (laughs) just some thoughts like how do you find out if someone likes you like how do you I don't know all the different how do you be a how do you be a sibling and And not model your relationship on all the gross, like competitive stuff that's in the media or 
or that you've seen on TV. You know what I mean? Just all the different ways we could approach relationships imaginatively and, and lovingly. Totally. Do you have advice for aspiring authors? Oh, yeah, I do. I mean, it's probably the same advice you hear all the time, but I have two basic things that I feel like have worked really well for me. One is to maintain all my relationships and that in this world where everyone's moving all over the place, that has been huge. So the first thing is to say yes to things, even if they don't seem so great or pay so well, not the really terrible things and nothing that's like against your politics, you know, but stuff that's when you're just starting out, I, I said yes to everything. And the truth is I still mostly say yes to everything. And then you make these relationships with people. And, and then before you know it, the person you wrote the like Kotex, Kotex ad copy for is like an editor at O Magazine. <laughs> and I really feel like that has been the key for me to having really great writing connections that I am, um, that I'm not, like, I'm not proud. And I'm my family's primary wage earner as a freelance writer. So I really can't afford to be proud. Like, I really will write a lot of kind of crappy stuff. But it also means that then some really lovely stuff floats my way from people I've worked with in the past. So I guess just that maintaining, maintaining relationships and, you know, knowing when to say no as in every area of life, but also saying yes more than you might be inclined to. I love that advice. And I haven't heard that before. And it's it's really, really true. I I wrote my first article for a magazine. I'm sorry for talking about myself, but it's like just to, just to, no, it's just to illustrate your point. My first article I wrote, I was 14 years old and it was published when I was 16 and it was for 17 magazine. And my editor there, Rory Evans, I stayed in touch with on and off our whole lives. And what's that? You know her? It's my etiquette column at Real Simple. Oh my gosh. Too funny. I was just going to say, she called me and was like, will you write for Real Simple now? And I'm like, sure. So. (laughs) Isn't that the best? Because you wrote for her for 17 Magazine, which I'm so envious of, but I love. Yeah. Isn't that, so that's exactly it, where you make these connections, you make yourself, easy to work with, which is the freelance trick because no one has to hire you. You're not, they're not stuck with you. They don't want to work with you. They just won't. So I just always think that I I love that about my life because it means all my relationships are as lovely as they could possibly be because we're just constantly mutually deciding to work together. You know what I mean? Yep. We're stuck, but I feel like that's actually an advantage for me. It just makes my life very pleasant. Except for the hustle and the yeah. whoring, as I like to say, the whoring. Well, you should uh, you should write for We Found Time. It's my new online magazine. So you should do an article for me. <laughs> okay, great. I Sign me up. Whatever it is. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, now I know I've spoken to you on Instagram Live, and now we've done this podcast, and I would like to be your friend. So we have to, like, get together in person. <laughs> Next logical step, I feel like. (laughs) Anyway, well, thank you so much for talking to me again. Thank you also for delighting all ages of kids in my household and helping the chores get absorbed by people other than me in a fun way. So thanks for all your family contributions. so much. Thank you for hosting me so graciously two different times. I have just totally loved it. Me too. All right. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) 
Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.